Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are nearing the end, possibly the last episode, not sure, of Chapter 7 of the podcast on meta theory of typed programming languages mostly and type theories. That's what we've been talking about. Although the, what we're talking about um, last episode and today, confluence, this is a property that you can uh, quite reasonably state and formulate and prove for untyped languages. And in fact, the untyped lambda calculus is a famous example, and I guess you could say, I think it would be correct to say, it's the first historical example of a system for which confluence was proved, because that sort of study of confluence originated with lambda calculus uh, of Alonzo Church. And so uh, today, I wanted to say a few words about some of the tricks, that little tricky problems that come up when trying to prove confluence uh, for lambda calculus, for example, as an important example, and uh, um, also say a little bit about the sort of field of confluence, the study of confluence as an academic discipline. So, because I know a little bit about, <laughs> I know a little bit about both these topics, but um, I'm not uh, not an expert, a, a super specialist expert, as you will find. So, anyway. Uh, Let's see, so what should I start with? Well, I guess I'll say a little bit about, so again, remember what confluence is from last time I'll just review. It's if you have some term and you reduce it one way and you reduce it another way, then the, the two endpoints you ended up with, there must be some way to join them back to a common resulting term. So if T1 reduces, oh, sorry, if T, our starting term, reduces to T1 and T2, then there must be some T3 to which T1 and T2 both themselves reduce. And when we're speaking about reduce, we're talking about reducing multiple steps, possibly multiple steps, zero or more steps. So like the reflexive transitive closure of the one-step reduction relation, that's what we're talking about. So, uh, and um, the, you know, the problem of confluence is a central problem in term rewriting. Term rewriting being this field that's concerned with uh, properties of Systems, you know, very sort of reduction relations formulated usually as some kind of rules. So you know, a, re a rewrite rule like f of x turns into g of x, um, or you know, g of a b turns into h of b a, or something. You know, a lot of times you find these small sort of algebraic sort of seeming examples uh, that that can be quite difficult to analyze for confluence. And in fact, so the, the study of this topic and this property is quite rich. And just, just like the other topics we've talked about, normalization and this sort of thing, uh, I would say, I mean, possibly the study of confluence is richer than some of these other topics just because um, for normalization at a certain point, your options of how to proceed kind of disappear. Because if your language becomes powerful enough, there's only really one method known, which is the Girard-Tate uh, reducibility candidates method, which we didn't say by name before, but it's basically there's just this method for dealing with polymorphic, impredicative polymorphism. Oh man, another thing we didn't talk about, impredictivity. Well, we may have mentioned that before, but um, it's a digression to talk about it now. I just mean to say that at some point, the there just aren't that many options for how to prove normalization, and so perhaps the study becomes, you know, maybe not I mean, there's there's still some interest. There's still plenty of interesting questions, but but with confluence, the, it seems like it's a lot more diverse. Uh, 
So there's a lot of different methods that people have proposed in churn rewriting for trying to test confluence uh, of rewrite systems. And um, yeah, just drawing on others, a lot of different techniques. And there's there's automated tools, as there are, are for termination checking. I guess I should be more careful. So for, for termination checking for term rewriting systems, that's just as rich a field as confluence for term rewriting systems. They're both quite advanced fields with very sophisticated techniques. I guess I was thinking sort of from a type theory perspective um, where you ha add enough power, you sort of go beyond what is usually of interest in the study of termination for term rewriting systems, and that's where you kind of just just get into the realm where there's just not a lot of ways you can do it that are, that are known. Uh, anyhow, so so maybe I was comparing not comparing apples to apples there when I made that statement about confluence being richer. Because termination, as I said, for term rewriting, it's another really developed field which has tools. So both of these problems, there are tools that can check termination of your rewriting system or can check confluence of your reading, rewriting system. It's actually pretty amazing. I've used some of these tools, and they're powerful. They can just blast away a lot of your, your problems you give them. They can totally handle. It's really quite impressive. Uh, so... There's an annual confluence competition where these um, people who create these tools compete to try to solve new problems or solve them faster and this kind of thing. It's pretty pretty cool. So, um, so it's a it's a field that is definitely alive and well and an interesting one for academic study. Um, I have to say, sadly, I'm not really aware of loads and loads of practical examples where this is useful. That'd be really cool if there were because it's a nice. It's just such a nice body of work. But uh, anyway, so that, that's a little bit about the sort of study of confluence. And, the, you know, there's a community that, that works on this kind of thing. And it's not a huge community, but there's some extremely intelligent um, people who have studied long and hard to, to, to master all this stuff. Um, anyway, so let's come back now to this. Something else I wanted to share with you besides this sort of sociological information about... Uh, about the problem of confluence for lambda calculus. And um, there's this interesting point that uh, it's, it's not that easy to prove confluence for type lambda calculus, or rather we should say it's actually pretty easy based on um, a rather clever and somewhat sophisticated proof idea that um, is, due to, is attributed to Tate, Bill Tate, and Per Martin Luff. So it's called the Tate... Uh, Martin Luff confluence proof for untyped lambda calculus. And uh, the basic problem is, so imagine you've got this expression and it's got two reduxes in it somewhere. Okay, so they, uh, remember redux is just, in lambda calculus we're just talking about a lambda abstraction that's like an anonymous function applied to an argument. Okay, and so you can reduce that by just making the function call. You substitute the argument for the input variable of the lambda abstraction. Okay, so imagine you've got these two redexes in two parts of your term. Okay, so the, in, in full lum-type lambda calculus, either one of these could be reduced. And so and that's where we get a sort of a confluence problem. What if I reduce the one, or what if I reduce the other one? Now, um, say that these two redexes are just completely separate from each other, have nothing to do with each other. They're in just totally different parts of the expression, okay? So I start with my term, and say I reduce the first redex to get to T1, okay? And then that's one of my branches that I'm taking in my sort of path in the woods, if you remember this metaphor, like wandering off in the woods in two different directions for confluence. So 
Um, and suppose I pick the second redex and reduce that, and that's sort of my second path I'm taking. Now, if these redexes just have absolutely nothing to do with each other, they're completely separate in the expression, then it's very easy to join up the sort of the T1 and the T2 that I've reached in this way. Because when I took this, when I reduced the first redex to get to T1, the second redex is just still sitting there pristine, nothing's happened to it, it's exactly the way it was before, and so I could just reduce it as a second step. So reduce redex 1 and then reduce redex 2. And that will give me absolutely the same term as if I first reduced redex 2 and followed that by reducing redex 1. So when the term, redexes are completely separate from each other in the term, uh, you can just permute the, the reductions that you do. Reducing redex 1 and then redex 2 is just gives you, it works just the same way as reducing redex 2 and then redex 1. Okay, but now imagine we're in a little bit trickier situation. So imagine I've got, again, two redexes, but redex 2 is actually in the, somewhere inside the argument you know, term of redex 1. Right? Each redex is a lambda abstraction applied to an argument. So suppose in redex 2 is hidden in somewhere inside the argument of redex 1. So that means when I fire redex 1, we have, now we have to be worried what's going to happen to redex 2. Um, and this is, where we, this is where the confluence problem becomes somewhat tricky for, for untyped lambda calculus to prove confluence. Because, now imagine you're in the, here's the good case, the nice simple case. Suppose my function that redex1, you know, is, is applying. Uh, suppose that function takes in its input variable and just uses it exactly one time somewhere inside the body of the function. Okay, so it's like lambda x, blah, 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 and there's one use of x, exactly one use of x somewhere in there. Well, then that means that that redex2, which is buried in the argument somewhere, that redex2 is going to just sort of migrate and be plopped in this one position where the input variable was used, right? So it's just, it's there, um, it's just there, and now I could reduce it as well, you know? So I could, again, do the same kind of thing of, like, if I reduce redex2 first or reduce redex1 first, it, it doesn't really matter because... Um, redex 2 just gets plopped in this one place uh, after I do redex 1, and I could just reduce it then. Okay, so that's, that's fine. So that case would work really similarly as far as proving confluence to the, the first case I mentioned where the redexes are just completely separate from each other, have nothing to do with each other. Okay, but now imagine that, uh, that the, the function in redex 1 copies its input variable. So it says lambda x, blah, 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 x, blah, 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 x, blah, 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 x some more times. Now, when I do that beta reduction, redex 2 is getting copied in several places. And so it is not going to, I'm going to need several reduction steps to make these things match up. And this is where um, confluence becomes, uh, there's a little bit of a trick that you need to use to prove confluence. And I think it's interesting enough, um, and I'm sort of just in the middle of it as I park and need to rush to class, that I think I'll probably pick this up for one more episode. Don't forget to give me your suggestions about what you might like me to talk about next, if you would like to hear something, or even if you just have some random question about what you're hearing, um, fire away. Uh, I'm pretty pleased. There's quite a few people listening to these, and so you're not going to, you know, I'm not getting drowned out yet with any emails or contact with people. So if you're listening to this, you want me to talk about something or have a question, just email me. Or I have this forum that I set up on the my webpage, my homepage, where the, the podcast homepage is too. Okay, anyway, thanks for listening, and talk to you later.